So if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to turn, take it out and turn with me to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15. I forget what page number it is in your, your Bibles that we provided, but it's near the beginning. So Genesis, Exodus, then go to the 15th chapter. And we're going to begin looking in verse 22 today. But as you get there, I wanted, I, you know, earlier this week I was thinking back to uh, some of the most meaningful moments in my life. And I haven't had an extensively long life to this point, but I've had a good life. And, and I was looking back and thinking about, you know, God's faithfulness, thinking about all the times that he's been there and the ways that he showed up in big ways and the ways that he showed up in little ways. But I remember one time specifically, and it was, it was the day, like, April 3rd, I think it was April 3rd or April 4th of 2005. Now, this was the day that... Um, a few days after Karis was born. And I remember thinking to myself, as we're getting ready to pack up all of her stuff from the hospital room and put her in the car and go home, I remember holding her in my arms, looking down at her sweet little face and thinking to myself, man, this is the most joyful and most terrifying moment of my life. Like it's joyous in the fact of seeing this little face look up at me and just smile. But then also realizing the amount, the immense responsibility that laid there in my hands. And I thought to myself, whoa, this is, this is overwhelming. This is crazy. How am I going to care for this life? This life that's now in my hands is completely and totally dependent upon me and, and my wife, of course, because she's more dependent on her than me, but totally dependent upon me. If I don't wake up one morning then what's going to happen to this baby? If I don't do certain things for this child, then she's not going to make it. I remember thinking, man, it's my responsibility and opportunity to provide for this child. That it's my responsibility and it's my opportunity to protect this child. And that it's my opportunity and responsibility to prepare this child for the world. Now, this child doesn't even have the ability to even lift her own head. Like, she just lays there. And so if someone doesn't roll her over, she could suffocate, like, right? So if a baby lays face down and she gets her head in a weird position, she's got no chance. So someone's got to come in and save her. This, this baby can't feed herself, so someone's got to feed her. But I know the whole part, and I remember thinking, man, I, I can't wait for the day that she's able to walk. I can't wait for the day that she's able to feed herself. I can't wait for the day that she goes off to college. I can't wait for the day that she gets married. Just thinking about all of those joyous moments. But, you know, as we think about that, if you have a child, you can kind of relate to that. If you don't have a child or you may have a child someday, maybe you'll have that opportunity to experience that. But I think that picture is very similar to the picture of God and his people as we will see in the, as we pick up the book of Exodus today. I think that's a very similar thing. God is a God that has great love for his people. He has called a people unto himself so that he could show a special kind of love to them. He calls them out, and we learned last week that he brought them through the Red Sea, and now they're on the other side of the Red Sea, and he is a God that wanted to show them that he's strong, show them that he is powerful, but he's also a God that wants to show them how much he cares and how much he has the ability to provide for them in every single one of their needs. And so what we're going to see is a picture as we step in today. As God's people are on the other side of the Red Sea, it's almost as though they are infants. It's almost as though the people of God are very in the infant stage because they don't know much about this God. 
They know a little bit about God, but they're learning more and more about him. So God, in over the next couple chapters of scripture, we're going to see that he, he specifically steps in and he wants to show them his gracious, loving, guiding, protecting hand. And we're going to see this unfold in a very beautiful way. We see God teaching and leading in, in a, a place of patience. And he does this so that his people, as they begin to see this character of God begin to unfold, that they will begin to learn how to trust God. That they'll trust him in the small things, and they'll trust him in the big things. And then when he leads them in places that they don't quite understand, they'll still follow because he has a track record of being a God that provides. So let's begin looking in Exodus chapter 15, beginning in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So we see uh, God's people now, as we jump in here, God's people are on on the other side of the sea. They have the sea behind them, and they have this great wilderness before them. So they know it was back there. They know that God is faithful. They know that God has provided, that God by his mighty hand has just defeated the greatest army of the world. And now they look out, and they see the wilderness ahead. So in that moment, they're not thinking that there's anything going on. They don't think that there's any great problems. They know that this God is big. They know that they've just been set, set free from slavery, and they've been set free from slavery with the purpose of serving this God in the wilderness. That's exactly what, what Moses goes to Pharaoh and says. He says, let my people go so that they may go into the wilderness and they may serve God. So the people of God begin and, and begin to understand that their purpose is to serve God. But as God continues to carry out his plan, we see that God is continuing to lead his people. He's using a pillar of fire to lead them by night, and he's using a cloud to lead them by day. And as we pick up this passage, we see that Moses, at the very, very beginning, Moses senses that God is on the move. He senses that God is either moving through the fire or through the cloud. He sees that God is moving, so what does he do? He calls to his people and says, let's set out on this journey, for God is on the move. He doesn't want us to stay here by the side of the Red Sea, but he is moving us deeper into this wilderness. So let's go. And so they set out on this journey. They begin going through the area of Shur, and things are good. God has set them free from their slavery. He set them on a path that seems like it's the, the path to easy street. Things are smooth. Everything is going good. God has just defeated the great enemy, and he's leading them. But slowly, the journey of following God becomes hard, like almost instantaneously. I mean, have you experienced that in your own walk with the Lord? Like, if you remember back to the moment of your salvation, and you remember back to the time in which you finally gave your life over to Jesus, and you thought in the world, you felt the forgiveness of God, that all of your sin has been wiped away, and you're fully reconciled, and now you are so tight with God. But if you have lived the Christian life any amount of time, you know that that time is is momentary. You can't stay there in that place, but God wants you to move. He wants you to walk. He wants you to follow, and he wants you to listen. And as you do, 
If you've experienced the Christian life any amount of time, you know that there are times in which it becomes difficult. And so we see God's people experiencing this difficulty close off only three days. So one day they're following God. God's, God's taking them on this journey. And they're like, man, we don't have water. No big deal. It's cool. We brought some with us from Egypt. It's good. And so they continue on and they're moving. The second day, they start to look around and they're like, wait a minute. The water supply is going down and there's, there's no water around us. But then the third day comes and they wake up that third day. and They've been following God and immediately their eyes move from seeing the God that's providing, they're no longer concerned about the, the pillar of fire or the cloud. They begin to look inwardly in a way that brings about great stress and great fear. I can imagine fathers at this time as they're looking out over their family and they're looking out over their flocks and they're thinking to themselves, if something doesn't happen, my cattle are going to die. If something doesn't happen, those babies that I held in my hand at one time are going to die. And so fathers begin to have this stress inside of them. So they're looking around. And they're like, there's no water. We need water. And then they come to the place called Marah. And they find water. And they think to themselves, oh man, we, we got it made. We're good. And they go over and they taste the water. And they realize that it is bitter, that it is putrid, and they can't even drink it. And so despair sets in even more. And so they're in a place where they realize that if something doesn't happen, they are going to die. So they cry out. It's almost like a little baby that's laying in its crib and and wakes up from its nap and realizes wait a minute, there's this feeling inside of my stomach. I don't quite understand it. I'm hungry. And so this baby, not being able to feed itself, begins to feel these pains inside of its stomach. And so the baby wakes up, and then the baby begins to try to find something that will soothe it, Maybe maybe the thumb or maybe a pacifier, and they begin to suck on it. And they think to themselves, if I suck hard enough, then something will come out of this that will feed my belly. And inevitably, there's no food in the thumb, and there's no food in the pacifier. So what happens is they eventually get to the point where they spit it out. And then what do they do? They go to the point where they're just crying uncontrollably. Someone help me. Someone help me. That's what they, I'm translating baby for you right now. I'm hungry. My stomach is empty. I'm going to die. That's the picture I have of, of God's people in this moment. As they're looking, they, they sense their need. And they're crying out to God. And they actually don't cry out to God. If you look here, they cry out to Moses. Like they go to Moses and they're like, Moses, you fix this. You're the, one that, you're the one that's in control. You're the one in charge. You're our great leader. You're our great and fearless leader. They don't even go to God. But they go to Moses and say, Moses, fix this. Fix this. Fix this. So we see The people grumble against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And then Moses in verse 25, I want you to see this. Moses cried out to the Lord. So Moses, I think this is beautiful, is that because we see the concern of the people, the people are concerned. And Moses, when he hears this request, he looks inside of himself and he realizes, wait a minute, I'm just a guy. 
I have no ability to make this water turn sweet. I have no ability to feed all of these people. The responsibility that lays before me is too great for me to bear by myself. So what does Moses do? Moses, because he knows the God of the universe, because he knows the one that has made the winds and the waves, he's the one that is part of the Red Sea, Moses knows God. Moses cries out to God. And Moses goes to God and says, God, here's the situation. You see the situation. God, please help us. So the people don't know God, but Moses does. He knows that there's a God who can provide, and he cries out and says, God, help us. And we see what transpires over the next few verses, from verse 25 to verse 27. We see the character of God beginning to be displayed. The character and the care of God for his people begins to unfold. And we can look there. Look with me in verse 25. I'll read 25 through the end of the chapter. He says, And when he cried out to the Lord, the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the disease on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. I think just in these few short verses, we see the character of God beginning to unfold. And we can see a few things. The first thing that we see in verse 25 is that God is patient. These are all going to be P's, okay? So if you're following along with me, write these down. These are the characters, characteristics of God, and they're all P's. God is patient. He is gracious in his patience. When the people cry out to God, he doesn't respond to them by scolding them or rebuking them or acting harshly towards them. I mean, they deliberately showed a lack of faith and trust. They deliberately said, God, you're not bigger than this. Moses, fix it. And God steps in and we don't see him scolding them. We see him extending a gracious hand to them. Especially as they're beginning to walk with the Lord. I mean, think about about it like this. When an infant begins to learn how to walk, when an infant's just now trying to find its balance and all that, no parent goes up to a baby that is trying to walk, that falls down, and says, you are a bad daughter, you're a bad son, you're a bad kid. Right? No one does that. If a baby falls down because they're trying to learn how to walk, what does the parent do? The parent runs over and extends the hand to help pick them back up. Parents don't scold the children for trying, for walking and learning how to walk and learning how to trust and learning how to figure all this stuff out. They extend a hand. But, you know, in parenting, there's a season for this type of of hand-holding. There's a season for that type of hand-holding. As a child is learning how to walk, learning how to to care for uh, its own body. Now, you'd, you'd think it was weird if... If a child was 40 years old and his parents were still around and the child still hasn't learned how to walk yet, right? You'd think that was weird if a parent who's probably 60-some or like that walks over and sees their kids still trying to toddle like this and then they're extending the hand and they keep picking up the baby, Kip, the 40-year-old person. They keep picking up the 40-year-old That would be weird, right? But 
But 60-year-old parents or 40-year-old children, they still provide for their kids, right? They're still there. They're still providing a hand, but that hand changes over time. The way in which they come alongside their children is different. So in this sense, if, if we're looking at God caring for his children who are just babes, you're going to see his patience come out. God is going to be very, 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 very patient. But we also see, not only is God patient, but we see that he provides what is needed in the proper time and in a way that proves he is God. I'm going to say that again. We're going to see this in verse 25. That God is a God that provides what is needed in the proper time and in a way that proves that he is good. See, in this situation, as Moses cries out to God, he says, God, please help us. We see God steps in and provides exactly what is needed. God knows our needs. God knows the needs of his people. He knows that they need to survive. And God is prepared to provide what is good. God knew in this situation, God knew that his people needed water and he provides it. I think to the words of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 7 when he, he says this, and it's very similar. See if you can see the similarities between this. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts, good things, to those who ask him? Oh, God has the ability to provide exactly what we need. It may not be exactly what we want or how we want it, but it's exactly what we need. And we see this in the character of God. He provides exactly what is needed, and he does it in the proper time. God's timing in providing is never too early and is never too late. It is always, always perfect. For those that are experiencing the hardship or walking through the challenging time or the test of faith, it may seem that God, it always seems, that God is not acting fast enough. It's always going to be a disposition of our heart. We always want God to move faster. We want him to move faster, but we want him to be patient with us. Right? God, you move faster, but be patient with me. But that's just the tendency of our heart. But know that God's timing is perfect. So God will provide what you need, what you need in the proper time, but he'll always do it in a way that proves that he is good. Look here. God shows Moses exactly what to do. He goes to Moses and he says, Moses, take this log, take this hunk of wood and throw it into the water. And then what will happen is my power will show up and I will make that water that is distasteful, I will make it sweet. Now to the human mind, to those that are a little more analytical, you look at yourself and you say, there's no way that a chunk of wood can make water sweet. I don't know the chemistry involved in that. But I know that if I take wood and I throw it into the water, it's just going to float. It's not going to do anything to the water, right? And so you've got to imagine just for a moment how big this really is. God says, go do something that just doesn't make sense. 
Nobody does it that way. If you want to take putrid water and you make it clean, you have to purify it. There's something you've got to do to it. You have to induce a change to it to make it sweet. You've got to remove that nastiness in it. That's from the human perspective. But from God's perspective, he can take a piece of wood, toss it in the water, and make the chemical change happen instantaneously. That's called a miracle. And God is in the business of miracles. You know why? Because God has made all things by his voice. Speaking things into existence, that's what God has done. So if God can speak things into existence, God can take a hunk of chunk of wood, and he can put it in water, and he can make it sweet. I can't do that. I don't think you can do that. But I know God can do that. So in doing this in a way that proves that he is good and that he is the only one can do it, that he is powerful enough to provide, and he's powerful enough to change any situation. That's our God. Our God is powerful enough to take dirty water and make it clean. He doesn't even need the piece of wood. But he chooses the piece of wood so that the people of God would see that he is faithful and would see that he has the power to provide. Do we believe that in our own lives? Like with our many challenges that God gives us, do we trust him? Or do we want to hold back Do we not believe that he's good? Do we not believe that he can do it in a way that will bring his own glory? Do we we think that God has to answer our prayers and be there for our needs in just this way? But God provides. I want us to see also that God is purposeful. Verse 26 shows us this. Look back with me there. He's saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments, I will keep all of the statutes. I will put none of the disease that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Let me go back to the end of verse 25 to you. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. So I want us to see that God is a purposeful God. You see, God was not caught off guard by the path that he had planned for them. He knew all along that they were going to go three days without water. He, he knew that he was going to bring them to the place of Marah, and he knew the water was going to be that way because he wanted to show them he's a God that provides. So it wasn't an, an accident that he brings them there, but he was a God that was doing this on purpose. He set them out on this time without water as a test. See, God did not just save his people to let them live on their own, but God had set them free from their slavery so that they could serve him. He had a purpose for their life, and now he's allowing situations or tests in their lives to come so that they could continually be reminded that they must remain in a state of perpetual dependence upon him. That's what he's doing. That's what God wants us to do with the challenges in our own life. God wants us to come to to the mindset and come to the place where we understand we need to be in a place of perpetual dependence on God and God alone. So he allows situations to come in our lives that make us be reminded that we must trust in him, that we can't do it all on our own. There are some things we can do in this world all by ourselves, But usually when we do things all by ourselves, they always end in frustration. They end in heartache. They end in pain. But God is a God that's purposeful. 
God wants us to be in that place where we are in a, a continual state of dependence. Where we can come to the place of that old hymn that says, I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee. Like if that is the mantra of our heart and our disposition between us and God, that is the right place to be. Just like that baby that, that lays there almost seemingly lifeless. That baby is living a life of faith. I don't know where, when it's all happening. All they know is they wake up from their slumber and they look up and they see this big gargantuan shape because they can't even make out faces yet. All they see is this big shape come in and care for them. They don't fight back against the care. They're just like, okay, I'll let you care. You want to care for me? I'll let you care for me. It's not until they get older that they begin realizing, thinking to themselves, they know more than the parent, right? And then they start doing their own thing, and then they inevitably have to come back to the parent and say, you know what? You're right. I was wrong. I should have brought my pencil to class. I should have brought my gym clothes to school. (laughs) That was an inside joke. (laughs) Some of you got it. Some of you won't. But God is a God that's purposeful. But we also know that God is a God that gives us certain provisos. So it has to be P, so I don't even know what that word really means. But we see in the word of God that he gives them some statutes. He says, you are my people. These, this is what I want, how you're going to live in relationship with me. So I want to give you some statutes. I want to give you some, some lanes in which you can run and live. And so God begins living out the ways they are to live and they are to serve God. So we know that God's law that he was going to give his people is not fully developed yet. It's not fully developed. It's not until later on in chapter 20 and later on that the, the law of God actually comes. The Ten Commandments come. It's not till later. But God begins to say, these are some things that, that you want to live in this place with me and you want to be close to me. These are some things in which you must do and must be. And look, it's very simple. It's, very, it's, it's quite simple. Sometimes we want to make following God so convoluted and so hard and so, so challenging, but it's very simple. It's so simple, even an infant can understand. Look what he says. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give an ear to his commandments and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the disease that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. It's very simple. They reiterate the same thing pretty much the same way two times. But basically, the, the, the simplicity of these statutes are, listen to what I say and do what I tell you to do. Like, isn't that the beginning of all parenting? Like, just listen to what I tell you what to do and just do it. Like, that's simple, right? It's not until you start thinking, well, I know more than you, or I think I, I know a better way of doing it. I'm going to go my own way, that there becomes a challenge or a difficulty. But God simply and clearly says, just stay close to me, listen to my words, and then do it. And when you do that, you have this great promise. This promise is that I will not be against you. You know my power that I have to bring about my destruction. The people of God knew that. They saw what he did to Egypt. And God says, I won't do that to you. That's not my plan. That's not part of my heart. I love you. And even though you will be disobedient, I'm still going to love you, and I'm not going to do it like that. Stay close to me, and it'll be good, and I will be your healer. Not that I'm going to take you away from all heartaches in the world or all challenges or all hard times, but I'm going to be your healer. I'm going to walk with you through the challenges of life as I'm making you into the person that I want you to be, as I'm making you into the people that I want you to be. I will be your healer. 
So all those things in the world that promise to give you life, all those things that promise to give you joy, all those things in the world that promise, 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 that can't deliver, I am a God that can deliver. I am your healer. That's a bold statement from the mouth of God. Especially as we live in our broken, challenging lives every single day. Like, I can't fix your problems. I can't even fix my kids' problems. I can't even fix my own problems. But I know the one that can. I have a personal relationship with the God of the universe through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I know that in the challenges of my life, sometimes I try to fix it. Sometimes I don't fix it. But I know that when I turn things over to God, he is a healer. And he heals my broken life. So he gives us a promise. But then lastly, I want us to see as we look at this, that God gives us precise seasons of life. God gives us precise seasons of life. You see, if we look back here, we see that there, there are a lot of names here that may not make sense, but we see Marah and we see Elam at the end. You see, Marah was not the end. Marah was not even a place where the people of God camped. They were just passing through. God says, I got the speedboat for you in life. I'm going to let you go by Marah. I'm going to let you see this. But my destination for you is Elam. Look what he, how he describes Elam. It's a place with 12 springs and the abundance of trees. That was my plan for you. My plan for you is you're going to get through Marah and you're going to get to Elam and then you're going to see that I'm a God that provides even more than you could ever need or desire. And it's at Elam where God is going to show his goodness. It's at Elam that God is going to show the, dis- the difference between trusting in him and living in a time of blessing against the time of testing. So that's what I mean. There, there are precise seasons that God has for our lives. God's not going to always let you be in a place. He's not going to always let you be in Elam. He's not going to always let you be in a place where the water is abundant and the trees for protection and everything you need are going to be there. He's going to send you in places of the morass of life. You're going to be in those places, but there's always only a season. So I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know what season that you are in. I don't know if you're in Marah or if you're in Elam. Maybe you're in a place where you've gone through a time where you just doubted the goodness of God. Maybe you're in a place where, where things are going well and you, you're kind of just going through the motions. Well, whether you're in your Marah or you're in Elam, there's a responsibility that we have to respond to the word of God today. If you're in Marah, my encouragement to you today is to turn from your challenges and turn back to God and replace your total dependence on Him. I say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you can provide. I know that you know my needs. You know my heart. You know the challenges of my life, but I trust you. Or maybe you're here today and you're in Elam. You're in a place of blessing where you look out and you're like, everything's good. Kids are good, the wife's good, the job's good. Take this time to dig into God deeper and don't just allow it to pass you by because the promise is that Marah is coming. So take the blessing of God, take the time of rest with God and get ready because it is coming. You know, there are 
a certain amount of times in our lives that sometimes the, the teaching of the Word of God hits us in a very personal way. But there are times in which the teachings of God hit us in a very corporate way. And I, and I believe that this is one of those passages that speaks on both of those levels. It, it speaks on a very personal level. Like, what God does to his people is also what God does in my own life. But we also sometimes need to come to the word of God and see how it applies corporately to the people of God, not just the person of God. And this week, as I was spending time with the Lord over this passage, I, I just have been reminded as, as a campus, as, as a church, what are the implications of this passage for us as a church? And I, was, I just want to share a couple of these thoughts with you. You know, our campus implications is that we've been on a journey. We've been on a journey. We've come a long way. Like, there was a time three years ago that this campus was, was not even known. There wasn't even in existence. And over two years ago, God uh, began working this thing out and began breathing life into a new campus, another church that was going to be in the city. And God, through that journey, that beginning of more than two years ago until today, God has been so good. Like, God has been good to our church. God has provided more than what we could ever ask for. Yeah, things have been challenging. Yeah, we've been on this journey. But even still, as a young church that we are, God has been, through the course of these past two years, two and a half years or so, He's been laying the foundation. For us, as a people of God, he's been laying the foundation of our trust and our, our desire to follow God. He's been saying, I'm a God that's good. I'm going to provide. I provided Loma Coffee for you. I provided the DCCA for you. I provided people for you. People have come, not even knowing why they're coming, but they've come to this place to meet God. And we've had the opportunity to touch the lives of so many people already in our city in just our few short years. So God has been showing, I'm a good God. I, am, I have all these things in store for you. But I believe that we're at a place of our campus right now where we find ourselves in an opportunity to cry out to God. Now, not, not crying out to God in the, in the same way that God's people did in the book of Exodus. They were crying out of place of, of complaining or despair. They were... Their bellies were thirsty. Their bodies were, were slowly shriveling up. We're not in that place. But I think our desire and our place of desiring to call out to God and to cry out to God comes from a desire to be obedient. That, that's the cry of my heart as the pastor of this campus, is that as a campus, we would be obedient to whatever God calls us to do. Show us the way, we will go. I don't care about how much faith we have to exert. I just want to follow God, and I want to be obedient to God. Isn't that the cry of your heart, too? Like, don't we want to be, as a campus, obedient to God? Well, this past two weeks ago, we had an opportunity. You know we've been praying for space. We've been praying that God would open up opportunities uh, for us to be a, have a permanent fixture here in the city. Some of our desires have been to be in a place where we don't have to come and set up every week, where we can actually come and our eyes, instead of being focused in on logistics when we come on Sunday morning, that our eyes can be focused in on people. Like, isn't that much better? Like, don't we want to be at a place where we can come in and we can say, I don't recognize that person. So instead of having to, to, to push this crate over here or set this music up, I can go over and engage that person. Don't we want to be at that place? 
I think that's a good desire, right? I don't think there's anything evil about that. I think that's of the Lord. That, that sometimes God, God allows churches to, to be a, a church that sets up and tears down and all the things every single week. That's great. And we, we're in that season right now. And I want to thank you for those that have been so faithful in doing that. But the Lord has provided, potentially provided an opportunity for us to have a permanent space. As you may or may not know, the, the University of Phoenix space, which is on the riverfront over by Planet Fitness, has become available uh, for a, a, a two-year lease where they're looking for someone to come in and finish out their lease. And this past Thursday night at the church members meeting, our, our church gave permission to our facilities forward team to begin to uh, work through negotiating a lease there. Um, now, we don't know what the terms are necessarily going to be, but we're trying to figure out what that the terms are going to be. And it may turn out in the process of this that the, the number is too so big, exorbitant, that we can't even do it. But it may turn out that the number is, is a number that is workable. And it could have an opportunity to begin to, to move down there. I, I don't know exactly the, the heart of God at this point. But I believe that God has put us in a place where we should ask the big questions. Where we need to begin asking ourselves, God, you have placed us here in this city. And this city needs you and it's going to come, you're going to come through us and, and the other churches too. But God has placed us here to be his hands and feet. And God, what is the best place that we can do that in? Is, is the University of Phoenix the place? It may be, it may not be. But what I'm going to ask you to do as a, as a church, can we just over the next few weeks spend more time praying? Would you do that with me? Like, we don't need a Moses to cry out to God, okay? There's not just, just, it's not just my job as the pastor of this campus just to cry out to God, say, God, help us. We are all, we believe in the priests of the believers. So if you have, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you can cry out to God too, just yourself. But together, if God's people cry out because we know God, ask him, say, God, show us. Give us wisdom in this direction, whether it is the, is we stay at the DCCA or it's the University of Phoenix or some other place. God, show us the space that you have for us. So pray for God's direction. Second of all, I want to encourage you to pray for God's favor. Pray for God's favor. I mean, it is possible. If God is in things, we could, we could go to the, the people at the University of Phoenix and say, this is all we've got to offer. And we say, this is what we've got. And then... Some people could look at that and say, well, that's a tenth of what we require. That's laughable. But I believe that God is big enough to say, that's not laughable. I mean, that's doable. God's people are trying to be the best stewards that we can be, seeking to do all that we can do in, in his power. We say, God, this is what we can do. It's possible that if God's favor shines on us, that it, that could go through. So pray for God's favor, whatever that looks like. I'm not sure exactly what God's favor is going to look like, but pray that he would show his favor to us. And lastly, pray that God would provide in a way that only he can. That's pretty simple, right? We can do that. Would you join me in praying that way? Pray that God would give us direction. Pray that God would show us favor. And then pray that God would show up in such a way that no one could deny that it was his hand. That's pretty good, right? All right. That's all I got today. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, if you're here and you have a special need, uh, you've come with a burden on your heart, I'm going to kind of mull around in the back. You can come share with me and just say, Pastor, this is what's going on in my life, and I'd love to pray with you. Um, but know that God is good, and I'm so excited and so blessed to be a part of the journey of just following him. 
Like, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I know that's a cliche saying, but it's true. Like, I know that God who holds the future, and just today, today, I need to be faithful in what he's calling me to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for your truth, and thank you that through history, you have shown your faithfulness to your people. Even today in the passage that we saw, we know that you are a God that can provide, that you can take bitter water and make it sweet. We also know in our own lives that you have the power to take someone that is dead in their trespasses and sin, and you can make them alive. And so, God, if you have the power to do that, we pray that you continue to do that. Do that. Bring life to people that live in our circles that don't know you. Maybe we have family members that don't know you or coworkers that don't know you or neighbors that don't know you. God, would you um, breathe life into their lives? But, Father, also with our own struggles, wherever we are individually, I pray, God, that uh, you would help us to trust you. And, Father, also with the opportunities that face our campus, God, would you show yourself to be big? God, may we praise you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.